right, good evening. Hi everyone, my name is Adrian, and it's great to see you here tonight. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try something. Hey, can you turn the lanterns off, Scott? This is just because I think I want... Oh, it's really dark. Let's turn it back on. And they'll, they'll take away to warm back up. Um, I was hoping to turn the lanterns off so that you could see the slides a bit better, but it's actually way too dark in here. Um, so we'll turn them back on. That's a weird start. Don't worry about that. Um, but uh, it is really good. I mean, last week, it was a great week, actually. We spoke about the idea that church is family on Sunday last week. And then a number of Bible studies joined up here on Wednesday night. We spoke again about like what it looks like to be a church family. And so I, I suppose I just want to mention that because uh, be encouraged. You know, tonight is a good night, especially that 20 minutes after uh, our service finished. You know, make the most of being family. Maybe have a chat to someone you wouldn't normally. Uh, there actually is a slide which comes up at the end of each week and it has a few things that you might want to discuss with each other. Um, particularly the discussion question which is on there tonight might help you have a kind of more deep conversation. Anyway, enough of that. I have an envelope here. I have an envelope. In this envelope is God's plan for you. God's plan for you. Now I wonder how many of you would like to look inside this envelope. Maybe, maybe all of us. Because I think people are typically concerned about the future. And so maybe we'd like to, you know, just take a look. Uh, get an idea of what God's big plans for us might be. Uh, even just to check that we're on the right path. That could be good. So maybe the question isn't so much how many. Uh, the question is how much. Yeah, I might make some money tonight. How much would you pay to get a glimpse inside this envelope? Because knowing what's in it... Uh, is really valuable. If you know what God's plan for your life is, uh, it might shift the course of your current life. It might even change your tomorrow as you work out if your plans are in line with the good and loving God we believe in. How much would you pay uh, to take a look inside this envelope? Well, I'm not going to fleece you for cash. I'm just going to give it to you for free, people. Uh, I'm going to let you know God's plan for you is for free, and it was in our Bible study it's not going to be quite as detailed as you like, uh, but I do think it will change the course of your life. It may even change the course of your tomorrow. God's plan for your life is this, to be holy. This is God's plan for your life, to be holy, uh, to be more like God and less like the world. Or as 1 Thessalonians 4.3 puts it, as Ben just read, this is the will of God, your sanctification, you know, your being made holy. Uh, today we're going to consider what this might mean for us as Evening Church. And this sermon is part of a series called Encapsulate. It's a sermon series which is kind of something of all we want to be as a church. Uh, God has given us so much in Jesus Christ. So now as a church we want to take hold of it. We want to progress in becoming more of who we are in Jesus Christ. Which is why it's wonderful to hear the stories of our four Bible study leaders before. God is in the, in the process, in the, in the, in the work of progressing us in faith. Uh, and today we want to make progress in being holy, becoming more like Jesus Christ in attitude and action. And the way we're going to do it uh, this evening is that we're going to think about how God is at work in Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that God is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see how God, three in one, is united in the purpose of holiness. And so the first point tonight is the Father appoints. The Father appoints. Did I say this morning? No, okay, sorry. I keep on thinking I'm talking in the morning. It's evening already. Uh, the Father appoints tonight. That's what we're talking about. Uh, what I mean by that is that the, the Father, 
uh, God the Father is the initiative taker. He sets things in motion. Uh, for example, the Father sends the Son. Uh, this doesn't mean that the Son or the Spirit are less, but simply the Father, his role is to appoint, to direct. And in the scripture, he declares and he appoints what his will is for our life. So have a listen to this quote from Gerald Bray. There are many things about God that, we, that are beyond our reach. No matter how hard we try, we shall never become invisible, immortal, impassable, omnipotent, or omniscient. The very strangeness of these words show us how far we are from ever being able to grasp their meaning, let alone participate them in ourselves. But holiness is different. This is one characteristic of God that we can share and that he wants us to participate in as much as we are able. As the Apostle Paul put it, our sanctification is the will of God. This is what God wills for you to be sanctified. Now the word sanctified is a pretty Christian word. Uh, it probably is rarely used in other spheres of life. Uh, maybe we talk about the sanctity of life. The sanctity, you know, as in life is so sacred that we should not harm it. Or maybe we talk about the sanctity of you know, special places like war memorials. Uh, but sanctification in the Bible refers to holiness, the idea of being set apart from the world, being different from the world. God is the perfect example of holiness. He is truly set apart. He's truly different from us. Even if you just think back to that quote, uh, he, he is many things we are not. Uh, he is invisible. Yeah, we're visible. Uh, he is immortal. We're mortal. We will die. Uh, so he's very set apart from us. But holiness relates particularly to his moral perfection. Uh, God always does what is right. God always speaks truth. God always loves others. You know, very different from us. God is holy. And he calls us to be holy too. Uh, 1 Peter 1.15, up on the slide. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Also, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7-8, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God's will for his people is that you would be holy, more like God and less like the world. Now, I reckon there's been a few times in my life where I've really gone, oh, what, what should I be doing? What should I be doing with my life? And actually, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people in this room, um, you know, asking that same question, what should I be doing with my life? And often, I think about these two books, Guidance and the Voice of God by Philip Jensen, great book to read. Uh, if you want one which has got a slight bit more humour, Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. Both are great books, because both of them are trying to alleviate the stress of making life plans. And the way they do that is by highlighting God's big plan for his people. His plan is holiness. I think uh, we spend a lot of time making plans, uh, pursuing things. We make plans to and pursue careers, or we might make plans and pursue the good life for our children, or we might make plans to and pursue the best marks at school or university, or we make plans and we pursue the, the greatest fitness goals or the greatest sporting achievements. Imagine, just imagine if we spent more time than anything else pursuing and planning for holiness, which I can confidently say more than any other plan in your life is 
is God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to be holy. So maybe as you're making plans in the week to come, you're planning out your timetable, and you're kind of asking yourself, what's the next best thing? Or maybe even as you're planning out the next 10 years of your life, and you're asking, what's the next best thing? The next best thing every time is holiness. Now, if you're in this room tonight, you're not really a Christian, you're kind of still exploring what it might mean to trust Jesus, uh, what do you think God's plan for you is? Or why do you think God might be so concerned that people would be more like him? And this is what God does. He appoints, he directs holiness for his people. Uh, But what does the sun do? What does the sun do? Uh, I reckon there is, uh, the sun acts. Uh, There is something deeply unsatisfying about a half-done job. I know this because I am the unofficial king of half-done jobs. Uh, You can ask Anne later. Uh, I'll start weeding the garden and I'll get through one half of weeding the garden and then I'll just leave the next half. I don't know why I do it. I actually can't stand my half-weeded garden. Uh, I I go out there and have a coffee and all I do is just focus on the weeds. It's terrible. I hate it. Unfinished work. It's painful. Uh, But strangely, I think this is sometimes how we approach the Christian life. We kind of leave things kind of half-finished. Uh, two, Titus 2, 11 to 14. Uh, I'll try and show you what I mean from this Bible passage. Uh, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In Jesus Christ, God acts for holiness. In verse 11, the grace of God appears, that's Jesus Christ, and he's appeared to offer salvation to all people. Uh, Typically, when you hear that word salvation or you hear the word save, you might think about what you've been saved from. So if you're at the beach and you tell your friend, oh, I was saved at the beach today, they're probably going to think, oh, you were saved from a rip or or a current. Now, if you're a Christian and you've been saved, what have you been saved from? Jesus Christ suffered hell on the cross, rose again, so that you don't have to suffer hell. So putting it really bluntly and really simply, uh, you've been saved from hell, getting what your sins deserve. I think this might be, at least this is my own story, often where Christians finish the salvation story. I've been saved from my sins. I've been saved from the punishment I deserve. But that actually is only half the salvation story. Because if you look again at Titus, in particular verse 12, there is a movement. There's firstly a movement from ungodliness to godly lives. Uh, Ungodliness is a life that pays no respect to God. An ungodly life is not shaped by God. A godly life is the opposite. It's a life that honours God and pleases Him. That's kind of the first movement, ungodly to a godly life. But then also in verse 12, there's another movement. There's a movement from worldly passions to self-controlled lives. And when the word world is used in this part of the Bible, it's not a good thing. Uh, The world is typically everything that's opposed to God. And so to have worldly passions is to have an out-of-control life. 
We are simply just led by desires. And sometimes I think that's why our world is so chaotic. Because so many people are just being led by their desires, going in all different directions. But in verse 12, there's a movement from kind of worldly passions, out of control, to a self-controlled life. Rather than rushing after your every heart's desire, you slow down, you ask the question, what's the next best thing? And you consider, what would honour God? See, the big thing I hope you can see in these verses is that you're not simply saved from something, but you're saved to something. From ungodliness to godliness, from an uncontrolled life to a self-controlled life. And, you know, this is picked up again in verse 14 when Paul uses the word redeem. Uh, Redemption in the Bible, it often has this kind of tone of the idea of a change in masters. And so, for example, just imagine for a moment you're a slave in a temple. I know it's a bit weird to think like that, but you're a slave at a temple back in like 60 AD and you have a master at the temple. But then someone comes along and they pay 30 pieces of silver and they redeem you. And this new person, they become your new master. A price was paid, you're redeemed, and you have a new master. In verse 14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. A huge price was paid. Jesus Christ, our great God and Saviour, gave himself for us. This is more than a few coins in a temple. This was the blood of the eternal Son of God poured out on the cross. This is what he gave. To redeem. So that you might have a change in masters. So that you might be saved from something, not just from something, but to be saved to something, living a new life. A new holy life with a new master. And can, can you kind of see already like the work of the Father and the Son working in unity? The Father appoints. His will for his people is that you will be holy. Then the Son acts. He gives himself so we might make a movement from ungodly to godly, from worldly passions to self-control, and from unholy to a holy people of God. Christ has acted. But the question is, How does this work of Christ become ours? And that takes us to the the final person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies. Uh, As I've done these sermons over the last few weeks, I've actually often pick up books and I just read a chapter from a book to get an idea of where I might go in this sermon. And so this week I read two chapters on the idea of sanctification, our being made holy. And both the authors, uh, they connect uh, the idea of being made holy to our union with Christ, Uh, our union with Christ. The idea that uh, if we're united to Christ means whatever happened to Christ has happened to us. We spoke about it a few weeks ago when we were talking about prayer. And if, if we're united to Christ, it means if Christ has died to sin, we also have died to sin. It's why the Apostle Paul, he writes this in Galatians as well, he can say, I have been crucified with Christ. But the Apostle Paul, he wasn't actually crucified physically with Christ. But so how can he say that? And, and I guess the same question's for you. How does the reality of Christ's death become a reality for you and me? How does something that took place 2,000 years ago on the outskirts of Jerusalem be your reality today, Sydney, Australia, Narrenburn, 2021? How does that become a reality for you? 
And the answer is the Holy Spirit. He applies the work of Christ to our life. Uh, Look at what J.I. Packer wrote. Sanctification, being made holy, is essentially that process whereby the Spirit makes increasingly real in our lives our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Or the Holy Spirit is our helper as he brings more and more of Christ's triumph to realisation in our lives. I reckon Packer's use of that word realisation is really helpful. He's kind of saying everything has been done in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ had a complete victory over sin, death and the devil. But while you and I are still in this world and we're still sinful and we're still fallen, the great victory of Jesus Christ needs to be realised in our life. It needs to become our reality more and more, slowly but surely. We need to take hold of the reality that was won in Jesus. And the Spirit does this work. The Spirit helps us. God has sent the Spirit into our hearts, Galatians 4, 6. This means that God is present in every believer. Now, I admit, I don't understand the mechanics of how this works, uh, but the Spirit is personally present with you if you are a person who trusts in Jesus Christ. And so what does the Spirit do when he comes to dwell with his people? Uh, Galatians 5 helps us out here. Uh, The first thing, he brings about conflict. In Galatians 5.17, there is conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. Now, I read that that word flesh, uh, it means what we are by our natural condition, our fallen condition. Flesh is our humanness that stands opposed to God. Every human in their nature is in the flesh, and you know, opposed to God. But there's a big, big change when one becomes a Christian. God's Spirit dwells in them. And the Spirit's not fallen. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Son, who is perfect. And so when the Spirit dwells with one who is in their nature flesh, there's conflict. Uh, Verse 17 of chapter 5, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So I take it, and prayerfully, many of us tonight might be aware of a bit of a conflict in their hearts. Maybe you're hearing this call to holiness, but you somehow want to cling on to your worldliness. And if that conflict is present in you, well, praise God. His Spirit is doing His work. He's applying the work of Christ to your life. But if there is no conflict, if you've never had any conflict, how, how about today you pray? How about you ask God to work? How about you ask Him to do His work through His Spirit and bring about a bit of a conflict in your life. I I read a book, I think it was last year, it was on the Christian conscience. And one of the things that really helped me actually kind of make progress in holiness was simply to pray the prayer, please God, make my conscience sensitive. Uh, Don't make it hard, don't let things just bounce off me, make my conscience sensitive so that I might actually know when I am living not your way. Uh, that's one thing the Spirit does, brings conflict. The other thing the Spirit does is He brings about fruit. I reckon Galatians, it's a great book, Uh, I'd be really keen to study it with you uh, at some stage. Uh, It's really interesting, there's this contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, that's Galatians 5, and also throughout Galatians there's a contrast between the law and the Spirit. Uh, Verse 18 has it there, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
you're not under, you might think it's going to say flesh, but he says, you're not under law. Now, we can't really unpack this verse, but one quick observation is that the spirit is very God-focused, while the law, rules and things like that, is very human-focused. So the spirit focuses on God's work, while the law focuses on human work. And you can kind of see this play out in the remainder of chapter 5. Uh, you know, there are the works of the flesh, you know, human stuff, verse 19. And then in verse 22, there is the fruit of the Spirit, kind of God focus, work, human focus, fruit, organic, coming from God. And I think this is pretty important as we come to the topic of holiness, because sometimes when we start to think holiness, we start to think, oh, let's just make a whole lot of rules, uh, set a lot of boundaries that will kind of stem our sin, which I think is good. Please do set appropriate boundaries. Uh, it's really good. But maybe don't stop there and maybe don't even start there. Because the spirit of the Son is in your heart. And he's more powerful than your flesh. He's applying the powerful work of the Son to your life. He is bringing about fruit. Verse 22, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So let's forget the flesh. Let's not work in the flesh, but let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's put an end to verse 19 to 21. You have to have your Bibles open to see it. It's quite a list. Uh, it's worth having to read through them again later. But often when I'm speaking to particularly some of the guys, I chat with them about what are the three big temptations for men. And we sum them up, sex, power, greed. And I think those words do a pretty good job of summing up verse 19 to 21. But then also in those verses, there's jealousy, anger, being divisive. They're probably all worth a mention as well. But when you read that list, and even as I say those like six things, you start realizing these are really big things, aren't they? They're big things to think about. They're big things to pray about. And to use the words from Galatians 5, they're things that we need to crucify in our lives. And, as, you know, just hearing that word crucify, straight away it makes you think of what Jesus Christ has done. But straight away it helps you realize that crucify is hard. And it's going to hurt. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a difficult process. It's not going to be just kind of magically happening on a Sunday night. Okay, I'm just going to change my life. Everything's going to be easy. No, it's crucifixion of the flesh and so I think a good thing for you to do is maybe later on tonight, maybe later on this week, is reread Galatians 5. I particularly have a look at verse 19 to 21 where it kind of outlies all the, the, the work of the flesh and then also verse um, 6, oh, I've forgotten the verse, the verse 22, which has the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but as you kind of make your plan, you maybe you make your study plan or you, you make your work plan or you make your meal plan, also, add in there, make a plan to pursue holiness. Make a plan to move on from the work of the flesh and to embrace the fruit of the Spirit. Get in line. Get in line with the work that God is doing in your life by His Spirit. See, one of the things I've tried to teach today is how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are united in the purpose of making us holy. And the question is, will you be united in their purpose? Will you get on board with God's plan for our holiness? Because the Father appoints, the Son acts, and the Spirit applies, and this is all directly calling for us to be holy. 
But I think this is the sort of thing that we have to do together. And so the final one for tonight, and it's quite brief, is God's people account. God's people account, all the accountants in the room, you can cheer. Woohoo! I used to be an accountant. Uh, I worked as an auditor, which, which some might say is the worst form of accounting. Um, you can ask me about it later. Uh, part of an order, this is why it's the worst part. Part of an order is that you check over financial statements to make sure your client is presenting things reliably and accurately. Now, in this role, uh, very often you have to walk into a client's office and you have to suggest to them, oh, I think you might have this wrong. Now, it's a pretty awkward job. Imagine Fox as a punk 22-year-old with bleached hair. I would then have to go into kind of, you know, the senior office, the senior client's office, and I have to suggest to them, I think you're wrong. It was tough. There was one client, every time I walked into his room, some very choice words were spoken. Now, I think in the Christian family, we're also called to help people see where they are wrong before God. And it's a hard job. It's as hard as my old job because it takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of love to correct and to be corrected. But God in the Bible simply expects that this will be the way. Uh, when we read 5.16, Galatians 5.16, which reads, walk by the Spirit, we might hear that as an, a command to the individual. Yes, as an individual, I'll walk by the Spirit. But in actual fact, uh, it's actually, the word walk is kind of in a plural and it's not saying, you know, reader, walk in the Spirit. It's saying, together, everyone, let's walk in the Spirit. And that happens very often in the Bible. Commands that appear singular, you, uh, they really would be better translated as use. In other words, holiness is a task for the whole community. In Galatians 6, 1, uh, it, you could see it there, brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that, restore that person gently. That means that this... This pursuit of holiness is something for our whole community to be involved in. And so I wonder what that means for us. I think at very least, it means that we talk about sin with each other. I, I know it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about sin. It's hard to talk about our failings. We're kind, of, we're kind of proud people. But it's good to remember that we're all on the same playing field. We all, by our nature, are in the flesh. We're all weak. We're all sinners. And if we can admit to that, which we're going to do just in a moment when we pray, then that's a great starting point. It's a great starting point to talk about all the weakness in our life. And so as we have these conversations, especially as we have these deeper conversations about you know, where we're still kind of struggling in the flesh and we're in the flesh, not keeping in step with the Spirit, I think one of the things we need to do is keep reminding us uh, ourselves what we've heard tonight. Uh, let's remind each other what God's will is for our lives. Holiness. Uh, let's talk about the redeeming work of Christ. He gave himself for us so that we might be holy. And let's urge each other to keep in line and live by the Spirit. Let's do this united because our God is a God united in purpose, calling us to be holy, less like the world, and more like him. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks uh, for your word to us. Uh, we give you thanks that you are the Father who appoints and you call your people to be holy. Uh, but we thank you that you don't just call out words, but you act in your Son and you apply by your Spirit. And so we pray that tonight uh, we will uh, take hold of what you've given us in Jesus.
Uh, we'll, we'll stop living in old ways and start living in the new ways of being more like you. Uh, give us really good and deep conversations with, with each other. And might we together uh, pursue the same goal you have for us, uh, pursue holiness. Amen. God's plan for your life is to be holy, to be more like him and less like the world. God wants to sanctify us and to transform us to be like his son. God's word tonight challenges us to see, um, to check if our longings for our life